going. Go ahead and stand and uh, bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much. We can come before you today. We can acknowledge your leading, your guidance in our lives. We thank you for the leadership that directs us from this platform in our praise to make sure that we worship, that we say the things about you that are true of you, regardless what we feel like when we come in. I mean, that's why we do this on Sunday, because we can do things as a body that are just hard to do as, as an individual. And, and you've commanded us and authorized us to do that. Lord, we claim your power today. We ask your Holy Spirit to speak through your word and trust in your guidance going forward, Lord, through the rest of this summer and into fall. For we ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated in uh, the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Colossians chapter 3. You know, if you've had small children or you have them or had them in the past, you may have the same problem I had when my kids were young and actually even just had uh, with our grandkids as, as, you know, whenever we spend some time with them. I remember one time seeing a woman boarding a plane, walking through an airport, getting ready to board a plane, and she had two kids, and I would say they were in age about maybe seven and nine. And, um, you know, instead of them trying to keep up with her, she's trying to keep up with them. And constantly she has to tell her kids, look, get behind me. Uh, So I still say that today. I have to say that to my grandkids. Here they are out in front, heading off in any old direction, like they know where they are going. And I have to ask them, do you know where you're going? Well, no. Well, then maybe you better follow me, walk behind. And when it comes to our homes, too many of us are taken off in any old direction as if we knew where we were going. And even if we saw a way to go in our parents and we inherited that, that may not be the right way to go. And we just take off in it and we're not exercising patience or watchfulness to get behind the Lord and follow his plan in the scriptures And because of a low view that others have of biblical authority, we lose the sense of the sufficiency of Scripture to direct you in your life. And so today, it doesn't matter if you're married or not. It doesn't matter if you have physical children or not. It doesn't matter if you're a single parent, if you manage a blended family. Everything we see today has relevance to your life as a Christian and Paul has some instructions for you. So this is, this is my thesis for today's study. What the Bible says about the spiritual realm gives you God's honest truth on how you have to live in the physical realm. One time in the middle of his ceremony, a preacher asked the traditional question about, does anybody here know any good reason why these two people should not be joined in holy matrimony? Now, speak now or forever hold your peace. Now, it wasn't me because I learned a long time ago not to ask that question. <laughs> but a voice called out and said, yes, I do. The preacher had to say, look, shut up. You're the groom. So whether you're married, whether you're engaged to be married, whether you one day hope to be married, or whether you are wishing you could get out of, out of marriage, Paul has some instructions for you. And if you're married, this is what you must strive for in your family. If you are not married, this is what you must orient your life to become. These rules in Colossians 3 govern our priorities as partner 
in a multiplicity of relationships, but including the home. Next time, we're going to move from partnering in the home to parenting in the home, because when you get down to it, the job of the home and the church is really the same. It's just to do two things. Number one, your job is to raise up the next generation of godly seed. That's the theme of this year's Certainty Conference in New Philadelphia, Ohio, at 1st October. And we do that through discipleship. And then second, your job is to teach outreach and service. And we do that through ministry. Evangelistic outreach is a ministry, but ultimately all ministries are evangelistic. Otherwise, why do we do them? So the goal of our time together every Sunday is to teach and to teach you from the word of God how to make a career out of living for the Lord. And this is so significant to you because here's our first point for study. You are parent and you are pastor. Even though you may be single or you may be married, you may have a physical family or you may have spiritual children through evangelism or through discipleship, but male or female, you have to be parent and pastor to some degree to some people in order for the church and the home to function and fulfill God's plan. Now, let's see how that works this Sunday. Okay, here in Colossians chapter 3, let's see how it works. And I want you to notice what Paul starts off with. Because if your thinking is not right about the home, your home will not be right. So verse 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, as you are when you are born again, you get saved by being born again, then seek those things which are above. Now why? Well, because that is where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Verse 3 says that one part of you remained dead while the other part of you arose when you got saved. That's Romans 7 verse 4. The new you who rose is called the new man down in verse 10 here in Colossians 3 because he came out of the grave with Christ when you got saved, Ephesians 2, 6. So, In the spiritual sense, you are already where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So this is the spiritual quantum mechanics of the Bible doctrine of being in Christ. Maybe we need a whole discipleship lesson on that topic of in Christ. Because if you are risen in Christ, then seek the things from where he is sitting. How? How do you do that? Verse 2, your affections have to be focused on that place, not this place. On that place and not on the place where your flesh is to be mortified and your old man is to be put off and removed. Romans 6, verses 4 to 6. So once you get saved, your real life, The eternal life, the one that lasts after this one dies, is in heaven where you are seated in heavenly places in Christ. The life you live here is only lived by the faith of Jesus Christ, Galatians 2.20, who loved you and gave himself for you. 
And that is despite what all of the other modern translations say, including the New King James. None of the modern translations, none of them translate the Greek correctly because their translators don't know what that means to live by the faith of Christ. So they, they corrupted to say, live by your faith in Christ. No, your faith falters. Don't live by your faith in Christ. That falters sometimes. You need to live by the faith of Christ because that never ends and that never falters and that never fails. That's what you need to do. They didn't understand that. And then even the, Okay, you, I know you think the New King James, all they did was change the these and vows. No, baby baba. They corrupted it just like everybody else did. So, so... If you study Christ where he is seated, it teaches you how to walk like Christ on this planet by his faith. It means putting off an old mentality so you can put on a new way of thinking. Now, if you would just take that two-word phrase, things above, and study that in your King James Bible... Because let me hit you with this definition. The concept of having the mind of Christ, as spoken of in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 16 and 13, means you have access to the data bank of truth in Scripture. You have access to the resource to the grace of God and glory and to the ability from the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can implement God's principles on this earth for your life. And that is how it is done. And that's true spirituality. The word of God will do the work and the spirit of God answers to the word. The struggle then is this. What is your access to and what is your view of biblical authority? Because every day, virtually everything we encounter attempts to negate the reality of the spirit world in favor of this fleeting physical world. Since the world we live in is more real to our body and more real to our senses than the spiritual world is, then spiritual reality gets slighted if we do not have a correct view of scriptures because that is the only point at which your physical touches the spiritual reality. And so what happens is we make our choices based on input from this present evil world, Galatians 1.4. I mean, watch, look at first what John says. Look on your hand out of 1 John 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world. Well, what is everything that is in the world? Well, it's in one of these three silos. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And all of it is not of the Father. None of it is of the Father, but is of the world. Why? How? Well, Ephesians 2, verse 2. Wherein in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And that is the struggle. It is a spiritual battle, and you are an agent on one side or the other. You are a soldier on one side or the other. 
What is the solution? The solution is to allow God's words to become as real to you as this physical life. Then your decisions will be made naturally from a spiritual information base of eternal, certain, absolute truth and from the spiritual power of God's saving grace. Hallelujah. So all of us come into the tension of how tough it is to flush the flesh out of our system. And no place is that more apparent than in adulting in the home. Because walking in the spirit doesn't come automatic. I mean, the ability to walk in the spirit is guaranteed as soon as you come to Christ, as soon as you receive him as Lord. But it is not automatic. Watch. Look at John 15, verse 5. Here's what I'm talking about. Jesus says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him. Now, he he will if you do, because God ain't in nothing you ain't in. Well, the same, that same person who abides in me brings forth much fruit, for without me, you can't just not bring, I mean, you know, it's just that you, it's not just that you don't bring forth fruit. You can't do nothing. Well, you can do a lot of things for a limited period of time. Like a fish out of water, like, like cut flowers in a vase. I mean, you can waste your life without Christ. You can do that. But apart from Christ, Nothing is accomplished to the plans and purposes of God for your soul in his eternity. And that means that apart from him, you have no power to put off the flesh. Apart from him, you have no power to wear the spiritual life. So here's our second point for study. The power to put on a spiritual life comes from a spiritual reading, feeding, and reliance on the spiritual vine which supplies the spiritual sap, which produces the Spirit's fruit in your life. Savvy? So if you will suck his life like a branch sucks the life sap from the vine, then your existence is completely tied to accessing Jesus' life through the mind of Christ in his word. And if a branch is broken or cut from the vine, then when sap stops, life stops. That is why God said to Adam and Eve, if you disobey me, if you eat of that tree, in the day that you eat, you will die. Why? Because you are cut off from my life. Oh, yes, it may take 900 years to show up. I mean, you look good. You're a cut flower in a vase. But eventually you die. It doesn't take us that long now. You know, a tenth of the time or less. And so, so, okay, the the unripe fruit uh, on that branch does not remain. It dies whenever the sap stops. I mean, the branch is still there. It's a shell of its former self, but it dies on the inside. And I wish you'd listen today because this has to do with revival and where we need to go and what we need to do this fall. And if God is opening up this door to us, it's going to happen because he wants us to have revival. And the power to produce fruit is not in the branch and it's not in you and it's not in me. The power to reproduce is actually in the vine. That is why it is by the faith 
of Christ, despite the corruptions of all the modern translations, including the New King James. Now look, go back a chapter to Colossians chapter 2. The vine receives its source from the root. Christ receives our resources from the Father. We receive our source from abiding in the mind of Christ. So in the previous chapter here, Paul gives an important warning to you. And if you are here and you are in high school, you are in college, or you are under 30, listen to this. Colossians 2 verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So we preach Christ crucified at this church, 1 Corinthians 1.23. I don't care if you know me as a Baptist or not. I want to be known because I preach Christ. Jesus says in John 12, verse 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. That is my plan for church growth. We preach Christ crucified, Christ carrying your sins on your behalf. Because when Christ is lifted up, people are drawn into this place. Why? Because they are drawn by a force that is outside of us. I mean, this is a promise. They are then drawn by the power of God and the Spirit of God using us. So let me help you adult in the home. When we draw on Christ's life, when we take his word and his person and his truth as our reality from the word which he is a part of and, and, and take it from that world that he's a part of in the heavens. And if we draw that down as part of our lives, then his way of thinking becomes our way of thinking, and it is by the faith of Christ, so that the mind of Christ becomes your mind with him and our mind together, so that the spiritual realm becomes more real than this world's trial and affliction, and this world's options and temptations. And then you know what? Then we conquer. Then we conquer. Romans 8, 37, 12, 31, John 16, 33, 1 John 4, 4. And there are special rewards at the judgment seat of Christ for every overcomer. So this is our third point for study. When the scripture of truth becomes more real to you, then this present evil and wicked world with its satanic course, its satanic elements, its satanic darkness, then you can conquer the flesh. You can overcome. And what, what, what a glorious prospect that is. Because many of us will be faced with a question at the point of our death. And one thing that you need to make sure of now is that the world you are going to is just as real as the world that you are leaving. Because if you get hit by a car and you are lying in the ambulance still debating that question, then you have no happiness, you have no hope. Christ's mind has to be so real to you, like in the words of a King James Bible, that you're ready to live like him so that you're ready to die for him. And this is so important because then... Then you can say, Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Can that be said of you? Be ready by making his mind more real. Many of us have not yet developed a habit of biblical thinking. What we want to instill in our harvest kids is biblical thinking. What we want to pass on to our high schoolers is biblical thinking. So that whenever non-Christians say, what do you mean abstinence is virtuous? Well, what do you mean immorality is sin? Well, what do you mean that gender is not a social construct? Well, what do you mean that it is not virtuous to be so confused that you're non-binary or you're asexual? Well, what do you mean that two people of the same sex cannot constitute what God intends for marriage? I mean, they say that, you naturally feel kind of odd, especially if you're the minority in the, in the group that's talking, and the world hates you for your views And Jesus said that is precisely how the lost world will evaluate your decision-making when it is based on his word in the Bible. And therefore, many churches today, many Christians today have lost their ever-loving mind. All I want to do is like Tilson. I want to to restore to you your ever-loving mind. Because they're ignorant of the mind of Christ. Uh, Or if woke and awake to it, they reject God's truth for the devil's deceit. Oy vey. So invite people to come under the sound of the preaching here. I have a method for church growth and a method for evangelism. I'm shameless about it. The priority is preaching. Acts 3.20 and 5.52 and 8.5 and 9.20 and 10.38 and 7.3 and 28.31. And that's only the references just in the book of Acts. Certainly do personal evangelism because that is preaching also. Mix your own testimony of salvation with the terms of the gospel and then invite them to Christ. But if you can get them here, I believe, number one, they're affected by the peer pressure of, wow, there's a group that actually believes this. And, And so I'm curious. But secondly, they will see how out of step they are with God. Get them to our church so they can get gospel preaching, so they can get saved. Is the Christian mindset the normal way of thinking for you? Now, what does Paul do to help us out with this? Notice here in Colossians chapter 3, back in chapter 3, notice how he moves from the personal in verses 1 to 4 to the community or what we do in company. So here's what we do together and do with each other what we do in partnering both in this church and in the home. There are two corporate relationships Paul uses to apply the mind of Christ to the moment. First, Paul moves from the individual to the family. Then he moves from the family to the marketplace in this chapter. He comes to chapter three and he says, look, in light of all the glorious things that we discover about Christ... Put your affections right there, verse 2. Then he says, having looked toward Christ and put our heart and our head and our thoughts in the right place and focused your attention on things above, now look around you. Look at your lifestyle and line up your life with your new look. You lined up your look to get a new perspective on Christ from his word. Now line up your life to get a new look and become light in this world's darkness. 
since you are now looking at Jesus as the Father sees him, then do not just make your mind match his in a theoretical and abstract or philosophical sense. Do a Vulcan mind melt. Make your life match his mind. The CIA has been trying this forever. I mean, you ought to read a history on the CIA sometime. Uh, particularly after World War II and during the Cold War and so forth, they were always looking for the perfect drug that's going to take away your free will, set up the Manchurian candidate if they need to, and make someone act against their own free will to do a certain thing. Now, all of that is fiction, but we like that fiction, don't we? I mean, we watch the Bourne conspiracy because it's action and it's suspense and it's spy, uh, but it's fiction. That, that they've been looking for it forever. Nobody has it. It does not exist. But, but they do that because Satan is out for the same thing. And, and Satan is out for the same thing because that is actually what Christ is able to do for you. If you view his word in the right way, and therefore you get the mind of Christ, you're able to act according to God's will and not your own. Now you make the choice to act that way, but... But you can do that. And then, and then you, you don't keep putting on dirty clothes. Uh, I mean, you just washed off the old stench. Hello, somebody. Once you get your mind together personally, then you are to apply it corporately in two supreme areas. In the family, verses 18 to 21. And in the company, verses 21 through the end of this chapter, and that means, and this is our fourth point for study, that the home is the first setting for successfully displaying Christ's mind. And this becomes very important because if you want revival, it has to show up in your relationships. There is no such thing as a Christian experiencing revival and it not showing up in his social relationships, his vocational relationships, his educational relationships, and his family relationships. If you bring your messed up mind to the house and the other person brings their messed up mind into the house, what do you think you're going to have in the house except for mess? So this is the reason for our dysfunction in the home. So let me shout you about becoming one in the home and being of one heart, one mind, and one soul as Romans 15, 6 talks about this, our fifth point for study. You have to have the same standard in order to have the same mind. Betty simple, Betty easy. The standard has to stay. The certainty of the words of truth, Proverbs 22, verses 20 and 21. If you don't have a Bible that is that, well, then get one so that you can be of one mind, so that you have the same standard to go by. How do you do adulting in the home? Realize that no one is perfect, but you have to agree on which way you're going, which will be based on which way you're looking and then follow through with which way you are walking according to truth. All of us have dysfunctional families in one way or another. We came out of them, we create them, we live in them. Why? Because it ain't the millennium yet. No family's going to be perfect till Jesus comes. Until then, we all bring the old nature along with us wherever we go. 
We have to mortify it by denying it and following Christ, walking in the Spirit. And that is why Paul is adamant with these Colossians about putting off and putting on. No church will ever be perfect. If you, if you think you found one, just go ahead and join it and then it won't be. So that is why our church, though it is not perfect, we have determined that our focus is Christ, our preaching is the cross, and our standard is God's words. It will be Christ, and he will be lifted up because we have his mind in a King James Bible. That is why we can live by his faith. So let me hit you with the definition. A Christian home is not a place where two Christians live. No, a Christian home is a place where the mind of Christ rules the participants in the family. There are some Christians who live together worse than some unsaved people I know. Because what happens in marriage is like what happens when your sink backs up or your toilet backs up. When your drain backs up, it is because there's too much crap in the pipe. Plumbers, am I right about it? There's just too much crap in the pipe. And if it builds up, then it backs up. And when it backs up, your job kicks in. You don't stop using the sink. You don't stop using the toilet. When it backs up, you start being a plumber or calling a plumber, as the case may be. So a real Christian home is one where the authority of Jesus through the scriptures rules the family participants because they have his mind. And thereby Jesus reigns supreme in the fulfillment of the roles and the relationships in the family. And everybody is able to flush the flesh because of that. So Paul wants you to understand this and apply the principle of the mind of Christ in God's word to adulting in your home. And when the world caves in, you can be Samson holding up the walls. So he gives you Christ's mind on partnering in verses 16 to 19 and Christ's mind on parenting in verses 20 and 21. And we will look at the first part this Sunday and we'll look at the second part next time. Look at verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Now, do not take that verse in a contextual vacuum. Paul starts with a subordinate position but it's got to be put in context to Colossians as a whole because here's our sixth point for study. The subordinate position is actually a position of privilege. I mean, how'd you miss that all these years? Jesus Christ shares the subordinate position to his father. He is subject to the father's will, but that is a place of privilege, of exaltation, of recognition and display and focus and attention. Everything that makes God God is shined through the subordination of Jesus Christ to his Father. The man is subordinate to Christ. And the privileged position that the wife has is subordinate to her husband. Now, notice it is not the secondary position. It is a subordinate position. Why? Because Jesus Christ is not secondary in position to the Son, to the Father. The Son is equal to the Father as God. John 5.18, John 10.30, Philippians 2.6. But in roles and relationships, the Son is subordinate to the Father Therefore, Colossians 3.18, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. 
And let me hit you with the definition. The word submit is a military idea of a soldier placing himself under the rank of his commanding officer for the purpose of the unity of the company and the success of the mission. And I'm talking about Christian homes right here because the Christian home is always more concerned with the success, success of God's mission than it is with personal position. Why? Because both parties have the same standard and both parties set their affections on Jesus Christ as Lord. They put off the old man and they put on the new. In that context with the home, in that situation, wives put themselves under the authority of their husband with complete security. Why? Because he is leading you by following Christ. Do you see now how different Christ's mind is from this world order? I mean, anything that involves the dynamics of a relationship always has to have rank in its roles in order to bring order. Or there's confusion and chaos. Watch, 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. So God is not telling the ladies to do anything that he's not already told the men that they have to do and told Jesus and Jesus does. Everybody has to be under somebody because rank is what brings order to relationships. And that ranking of subjection ensures that the final source of authority is God and not anybody else. Booyah. Now, I'm not to the men yet, but I will say this to the men. I, you know, I know sometimes ladies think that, well, they're at the bottom somehow. Uh, but uh, they need to understand, and you need to understand as the men, that a lot of the times the reason why this much is said to the ladies and this much is said to the men is because the men have to do this and they also have to do all that. Uh, therefore, that means that you have to lead by going lower. There are times when you have to lead by going lower. In other words, even though you are the head, you're not allowed to rule at, like the Gentiles do. Jesus prohibits that. You're not, a, you're not allowed to say, well, look, I'm, in, I'm the head. I'm forcing you. You have to. I insist that you do. You're not allowed to do that. You have to lead just exactly like Jesus did. He led by going lower. Now, that may lead to crucifixion, that may lead to death, but okay. Um, God holds you responsible because you're the man, but you can also fulfill that responsibility if she won't let you lead by leading by going lower. And then he takes that up with her. So Christ has to be subject to the Father because in the dynamics of relationships, there has to be rank to the roles to bring order. And not only that, but it was because this was done that God, who cannot die, died for your sins and paid the entire penalty on the cross. So is this a losing deal for Jesus? I mean, is that unfair to him? No way. Now, if you're here and you're not asleep, I know just what you're saying. But Alan, Christ is not married to my husband. So I'll get to that again in just a minute. But here's, here's our seventh point for study. In order to experience the full privileges, the position of privilege requires a willingness to submit. So 
for the ladies if, if your husband is leading spiritually and you don't submit, you've lost your privileges. All you've done is hurt yourself. But notice the Bible defined limitations because all authority is relative authority except for God and the words of God. So wives, your husband does not have absolute authority. He has relative authority. Your husband is not the final authority because he only has the authority to do what God says to do. Children, your mothers does not have the final authority. So, verse 18, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord, because we have a standard and he is the ultimate and absolute authority. So God ties subjection to what is fitting and what is right in light of your relationship with Jesus. Or to put it another way, the husband has husbandly authority, but Jesus has the higher authority and God never makes those two conflict. Or to put it another way, and this is our eighth point for study, the scope and the limit of submission is tied to your relationship with Jesus. Submit to what is within the bounds of what is fit or proper in the Lord. Do what will honor the master. Do what will glorify God. If it fits into the mind of Christ, then submit to it. If you strongly suspect it does not, then ask your pastor, ask your discipler, ask some stronger believer to show you, does the Bible have anything more to say? And if you are asked to sin, that is outside the bounds of fitness in the Lord. Because since Jesus is Lord, he is also Lord over your husband. And this is simple adulting in the home. So Paul encapsulates Everything that's involved in adulting in the home for the woman in partnering with a man in this one statement on rank and roles and relationships. And then he does the same thing now for the man, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Do not misuse or abuse the woman's submission. Do not take advantage of her submission. Uh, So the same thing is said for the man partnering in pastoring his home as what Peter says to pastors in leading and feeding the church in 1 Peter 5 verses 2 and 3. When she agrees to follow your lead, do not use that as an excuse to lord it over her, but to love her. Because in our final point for study, When operating from the mind of Christ, submission will produce love and love will prohibit sharpness toward a partner because love will be 1 Corinthians 13. So here's the man in the house. He's a thermostat because he controls the temperature. Here's the woman in the home. She's a thermometer and she can tell the husband how to make adjustments in the thermostat based on the life of the temperature of the home. For that reason, the wife probably generally knows when the kids are going through a hard time before you do, gentlemen. And sometimes when you don't know if the heat needs to be turned up or the heat needs to be turned down, well, then she can give you some insight into the souls of your kids so that you know. And yet all relationships go through three stages. This is true of both the home and the church, honeymoon, disillusionment, and commitment. And it is in that disillusionment stage that we can grow embittered. So I'll hit you with the definition. To be bitter means you dwell on anger or resentment over time. And it's where familiarity with a person's faults breeds contempt. 
So to bring adulting to the home, the husband loves as an act of the will and keeps that love shown in his actions of sensitivity or like God. In Micah 7 verse 18, he retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. So what do you think the opposite of bitterness is? You know, if you have tea that's not bitter, what is it? It is sweet. That's last in the South. We want sweet tea. So your response should be sweetness simply because she's your wife, not for any other reason. So I'm just showing the women how God is not unfair. I just, I just told the wife that she has to submit because God holds a man responsible for leadership in the home. But I'm telling you men that you have to love just because she's your wife. And neither one of you should take advantage of these rules to misuse the biblical relationship. Now, why does Jesus demand this? He demands it because of the purpose of a home is not so that you can live happily ever after. How's that working for you? I mean, I know that Missouri is now a state where marijuana is legal, but how's that working for you? Happily ever after. See, here's the mission. The purpose of a home is to display the mind of Christ to a world that is lost in a more powerful, prominent, and illuminating way. And a lot of people get into a relationship because of what they're going to get out of it. But your children do not have that option to choose. And what you have to understand is that getting something out of the relationship, that's not the purpose, that's the benefit. The benefits of marriage may make you happy, but the purpose of marriage is to let you display holiness in our unholy age. Have you ever seen Christ fix a mess in your life? And then afterward, you look back on him in a different way. And, and you, when you see Jesus fixing your life, it becomes part of your spiritual history. And then it becomes a challenge to even greater things in the future. Most of us do not think of our relationships in terms of illustrating how God thinks. We think of our relationships only in terms of being happy or not being lonely. So we need to get in our right mind today. And if you want to get right in your home, then you got to get right with heaven. You need to be right with heaven now. Where do you stand with Jesus You cannot be living the mind of Christ if you have not submitted to the righteousness of Christ by getting saved. Righteousness is that key thing that you lack every time you blow it with your coworkers, with your kids, with your kin. You can't find it inside yourself and you'll never get it on your own. Here's what the wonderful word of God says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that for God hath made Christ to be sin for us. I mean, imagine it. Christ, who knew no sin, sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Don't you want, don't you want what Philippians 3.9 says, to be found in him? not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through, wait, notice, look at what it says. I mean, the words are the key to your Bible. This is simple English Bible exegesis. If you don't have a King James, this doesn't apply to you. But I know where the words of God are at. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith 
of Christ. Not my faith in Christ that fails or falters at times. It's through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The last two or three weeks, we ended even, you know, two or three minutes early each time. I, I don't think I let you know that I was actually reserving my time. And so we've gone two or three minutes over, but, but I hope that you'll consider that, that it was worth it. The blood of Jesus has enough power to cover it all, to cleanse it all, to correct it all. And these principles have enough power to cure it all. Will you just trust in the blood of Jesus today? Just simply believe on Jesus for the everlasting life that he promises you. And all you have to do is pray, just your heart to God, knowing that he hears you. And just pray and say something like, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. I trust Jesus today for everlasting life. I'm not righteous, I can't be sinless. You're promising me righteousness in Christ. Put me in Christ and the Holy Spirit in me. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. And if you pray and trust Jesus for eternal life today, come up here and let me or one of our personal workers here at the front know. Either do that while we're singing or right at the end. I want to give you a copy of my book on next steps for new believers. Ask us about baptism when we're doing baptisms next so we can baptize you. Uh, if you're here and you get fed here, but you're not a member, come up and talk to us about becoming a member of this church. Next Sunday is our sixth study in the School of the Prophets, so exactly halfway through. And Micah is going to deal with us about God's three controversies with American society. Be here and bring somebody that needs the gospel good news like you do. Go ahead and stand if you would. Praise team, send us out singing.